What's good, party people? I am your host, Candia Johnson. I hope that your magic is fully protected today. Because listen, y'all, truthfully, there's no way around it. Life is messy, complicated, uncertain, and absolutely unfair at times. But here's what I know, particularly from my days interviewing so many amazingly dope executives and change makers and entrepreneurs, and my time now meeting people through my workshops. Despite what's happening around you or within you, you can show up anyway, especially if you just give yourself permission to show up imperfectly. Today's guest, Sarah Morgan, is the best example of what it takes to show up anyway. What it takes to show up to work, particularly in an executive role as a director of human resources at a North Carolina-based company and lead other people while you're battling your own issues with anxiety and depression. She's the perfect example of what it takes to be a wife and mother of five children who's committed to not only taking care of her family, but feeding her own ambition to consult and teach other companies how to create more inclusive and equitable workplace cultures. And she does that through her own consulting company, Buzzaroni. Sarah has been named one of the top 50 unstoppable women in HR technology. She's also a speaker and writer who's been published in Fast Company, CNN, Black Enterprise, and so many more. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot the most important thing. She's my client. And I couldn't be more proud and happy about sharing with you Sarah's journey to finding the courage to own her voice and speak up about racism and microaggressions and pay equity Especially because, you know, sometimes working in HR, we have this perception that they look and act a certain way. And sometimes, you know, they take on so much sensitive information from everyone in the company that they have to have a poker face, but people friendly vibe. But what I love about Sarah is she doesn't mind going from dropping an HR policy on you to dropping a Cardi B lyric. (laughs) At the same daggone time, or maybe five minutes later. Anywho, y'all listen, enjoy, and let me know what you think. Well, hello, hello, Miss Sarah Morgan. Hello, hello, my coach K. <laughs> so let me tell y'all something. I am super excited that we are finally making this podcast happen because. Yeah. Sarah, I don't even know how to adequately describe the many roles that she's played in my life. I mean, right now, she's a client, right? Uh, She registered, she enrolled in my Stories That Sell program. But prior to that, you know, I was a guest on her podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, We participated maybe in one or two webinars. We're Twitter friends. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, we show each other love uh, on Twitter. And so our relationship is is deep at this point. So tell, tell, tell the people about you uh, and what you do. So I am Sarah Morgan. I'm the Chief Excellence Officer of Buzzaroonie LLC, which is my coaching and consulting company where I help small businesses and um, startups 
to create inclusive workplace cultures. And then I also work with Black women and human resources professionals about leveling up their careers. Uh, So that's primarily what I focus on. In addition to that, I have a full-time job as the head of HR for a national retail services organization. And in addition to that, I am the wife of David Morgan and the blend. We are a blended family with five children. So that takes, and a dog. We got a dog running around now. We can't so, forget the dog. <clears throat> can't forget the dog. So yeah, it, it keeps me, all keeps me very busy and very humble. Yay. So listen, Sarah knows that she always looks at me like this woman is crazy. I love to brag on the fact that you are a amazing human being, first of all, but you're also yeah. a wife and a mother of five, right? For a mm-hmm. blended family, but a mother of five. And the thing yeah. is, you know, on any given day, Sarah like makes me feel like a slacker. Like she's telling me all the list of things she's done. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're doing that with five kids, the husband and the dog. Let mm-hmm. me set my game up. But yeah. <laughs> one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on Kanta Conversations is because I have, has, you know, I've always admired how you have stepped into the power of your voice and really talk about those difficult issues like, you know, mm-hmm. mental health, discrimination, microaggressions, mm-hmm. racism, diversity, which are occurring, you know, all around the world and workplaces all around the world. Mm-hmm. But you actually speak up against and out about it in terms of the human resources uh, industry as well. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about what what's the event or thing that happened that led you to become so vocal about it or even want to share? Um, I think for me... I think like all of us, it was really Trayvon Martin that shifted me because I was working in a place and I had been at at that particular company at that point, I want to say five five or six years and was pretty close with my coworkers. So I thought, and then the, um, then Trayvon's murder happened and the conversations that my coworkers felt all too comfortable having in my presence were was so mind blowing at how completely just closed off they were to anything that to me felt like you know compassion or sensitivity for this young man who so early in his life lost his life at the hands of someone who had no business bothering him. And after that, just something inside of me shifted where I I just felt like it was necessary for me to be much more unapologetic and unafraid to speak up for issues, whether it be in my workplace or in my world place, in the environments that I was going to occupy, I had to be a voice for change and a voice for inclusion and a voice against oppressive systems, whatever they look like. And so that was really the thing that shifted me. And then after that, it wasn't too long after that, that I started my Black Blogs Matter Challenge 
on my blog and did that for four years. And um, because I would have been, I at that point had spent probably four or five years just talking about general human resources, leadership and management, tippy-toeing towards the topics of diversity, but never really being very, you know, affront in in how I was addressing it. And then the first year of Black Blogs Matter, I talked about what it felt like for me to be the first and only Black woman in a professional room. I talked about what it was like for me the first time that I wore my hair as it naturally grows out of my head and didn't, you know, style it to um, be straightened and quote unquote professional. Um, I talked about colorism and, and all like, I just hit everything in, in a 28 day period and I poured it all out. And after that, it was like the doors, you know, just started to open of people wanting more of that candid side of me. And I was like, well, great. I can get, I can get a people what they want. And so I just did. Um, and eventually that led to me talking about domestic violence, which I am a survivor. It led to me talking about my mental health issues, which I, I used to suffer from depression. And now that I, through lots of therapy and time is not an issue for me anymore. But underneath my depression was this raging anxiety that I didn't even know about. Um, I always say that the depression was um, heavy and anxiety is loud. That's kind of the way that I describe the two of them. So the weight of the depression kind of drowned out the loudness of the anxiety. But once that depression was gone, the anxiety was like, hey, girl, I'm here. And now I got to deal with her. So um, so working through all of that, and I just felt the more that I was honest about those things, the more that it created spaces for other people to be honest about those things and hopefully make the world of work better for people who look like me, especially, and those who don't. Okay. So let's go back to a, a second to you writing about um, the Trayvon Martin and, and the issues and things surrounding that incident and the aftermath. Do you feel it was uh, sort of uh, therapeutic for you to write and then you just started to build your confidence in it and, and started to lead into other Yeah, it definitely was cathartic because um, when I first started writing, remember, I was writing under a pen name. My job at the time was very opposed to, I, was, I wasn't the head of HR at that point. I was the, the manager on, next to the head of HR, but really running the department because mm-hmm. that's how Black women be. <laughs> And um, went to them and and let them know that I was wanting to start this blog. And they were like, oh, absolutely not. Like, we can't have our HR person, you know, out here on the Internet saying things. So I blogged under a pen name for the first probably two and a half, almost three years of me writing still very much in my voice. Like I I wasn't going to be one of those people who created a pen name and then became a caricature of myself. I was determined that that was not going to be my story. And again, being a black woman, we don't have room for that. 
the world is trying to make caricatures out of us. So there's no space for us to to make caricatures of ourselves. So it, I was intentional about making sure that my voice stayed my own because I knew someday I was going to put that pen name down and speak as me. And I didn't want to have to apologize to nobody and nothing, you know, for being out of integrity with myself because I chose to say things behind a, you know, an avatar that I wouldn't say to your face. So that was probably the first um, couple of years, but there was, once I put that down, there was absolutely a catharsis that came from being able to just get those thoughts out in a space that was safe, you know, for me to do that. And I think whether that's journaling or whether that's social media. I love um, Janine Truitt. I remember doing a webinar with her years back and she said, we got to get beyond this idea of thinking that writing is this like very specific thing or blogging is this very specific thing. And, and look at every time that you send a tweet, post on Instagram, whatever, that you're creating content and that that content has to align you know, and when I when I stopped and I looked at that, I was like, you know, I have this great body of content, but I want to make sure that that my full voice is showing up. So that side of me that loves television, that side of me that loves music and and '90s R and B and hip hop, and that's like every aspect of my personality needs to be showing up. You know, in these spaces, and I just gave myself the permission that I needed to give myself to be authentic in doing that. And I'm glad, and I'm really glad that I did. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, listen, I love, another one of the reasons why I uh, admire how you just show up, because, you know, typically when you think about human resources, right? We so stuffy. Stuffy, reserved. We are so stuffy, like so you can't stuffy. say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we can, so, all the things that you can't say, like we are absolutely the fun police. And believe in my day job, I do some of that. And a lot of it is a little tongue in cheek, but I do some of that. Like we had a, um, we, we have a group Slack chat and one of our VPs made a comment up in the Slack chat about how some picture that somebody posted is like, you kind of look like a, I forget what dog he called them, but he compared this guy to an animal. And then he was like, well, if, if, if I was a dog, I would be this kind of dog. And if I was an I so I posted when people start comparing other, when employees start, when managers start comparing employees to animals, HR be like, and then I put the little Homer Simpson fading in the bushes. Everybody just cracked up. Um, so, and then we had a thing today that was, um, we had a team member who recently left the team. And so I sent the Slack update just to say, hey, I inactivated so-and-so in all the systems. And then I posted a GIF of, of pouring out from the 40. <laughs> and everybody was like, not the HR lady that poured, poured it. I was like, we're going to pour one out for the homie. Like, I'm that HR person. So um, I just, you know, I just try to be as authentically myself as I can be to break that stigma around these stuffy HR people because HR sits at the intersection of everything that intersects work and life. We dealing with your money, 
We're dealing with your health benefits. We're dealing with your pay, your time off, your performance evaluations. If you're not performing, we're where you got to come. I have to be a safe and welcoming space. And if I am constantly this stoic, unapproachable person, it's just not going to work. And so um, I've tried that in environments because I thought that that was what was expected of me in like my younger, earlier career years. And once I hit the 40s, I was like, I ain't doing this no more. Like I show up, I... um. Like my team, my team loves it because I would, you know, we have casual Fridays like most places. And so I'm in graphic T-shirts. I could be in jeans and T-shirts all day long, but I'm in graphic T-shirts on Friday. So when I first started this job where I'm at now, about a year and a half ago, I would wear my graphic T-shirts on Fridays. And I have one that says some days I'm Claire Huxtable, some days I'm Cardi B. They cracked up. They was like, not the HR lady. Like, what you know about Cardi B? And I'm like, what you know about Cardi B? Like, you know, I just I just have to. But then what was funny was that when I did it, everybody started doing it. Like the next thing you know, it's another young lady who showed up with a picture of um, the U.S. Capitol. It was like a woman's place is in the House and the Senate. And I'm like, that's what's up. Like, you got to create. that that safe space for people to just show up and express themselves. And if HR is not doing it, nobody's doing it. So I'm glad to be able to set that tone. And I'm glad that I found the thing in me that I needed to find to feel comfortable doing that come what may. Good. So how long did you wait? So you had this blog name, right? Mm -hmm. Under kind of like an alias. When did you say, forget the alias, I'm going to let them know this is all ceremony. When I, le- when I left that job and I went to the one right after it, I put the pen name down um, because they knew that I blogged and they had no issues with it. They, they, they liked it because I was able to help them develop their social media presence. And at the time, we were a franchise of a major brand. And so they were able to put me on the committee with the national committee and I could speak to the national people and understand what was going on and represent the company well. So they didn't have any issues with the fact that I was writing. So it wasn't a necessary thing anymore. And I was like, well, why am I doing this? And then once that was the case now, it's on my resume. Like I don't hide that I blog. Um, I don't hide, you know, my social media content. I'm not, as they call them, the dirty deleters. I don't tweet stuff and then delete it later. I said it um, and it is what it is. Um, Do you feel like some, because a lot of people, you know, they have a full-time job and they want to start an initiative or just be more vocal about things that are going on and they have this fear or concern about what will their employer think? Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that a person should speak to their manager or their employer and let them know that they have this blog? Like, I love that you have it on your resume. Um, yeah. as part of you. What, what would you recommend or what would you say to the person? If you're, particularly if you're blogging or podcasting or whatever about something related to your profession, to me, that is a commitment to 
your profession. Like for me, when I was looking at jobs, this is something that differentiated me from all the other candidates. You're not going to find too many people in my area. Matter of fact, I know everybody in my area who does what I do. So you're not going to find nobody else in this area that's writing how I'm writing, speaking where I'm speaking, doing what it is that I'm doing that has my influence and my reach and my network. That's an asset. And there are the organizations that you're going to want to work for are going to be the organizations that are going to embrace that and try to find a way to work with you um, within that, within your, with my current job, it was, you know, almost 10 years ago. So blogging was still pretty new and um, I felt a responsibility to let them know that I was doing this. I don't necessarily know if I would do that if I were to start a blog right now, because it's so commonplace that for people to have a side hustle uh, or a hobby, depending on what it is, you know, a blog, a vlog, uh, you know, social media presence, like all of that is so common. And to have it in places that don't have nothing to do with your day job, you might be working in marketing, but you love cooking. And that's what your vlog is about. Like, that's so normal nowadays that I don't necessarily think it's viewed in the same way. But if you if you think that it's something that could cause potential exposure for you, um, you know, to the point where you would be disciplined or potentially you lose your job. If there's something in your handbook that says that you have to let them know because there are employers out there still doing that. Um, then definitely, you know, it makes sense to have those conversations. But to me, now I'm of the mindset is if I don't ask for permission, then I give nobody the opportunity to tell me what I can't do. So I would much rather ask for forgiveness and be like, oh, my bad. Like I did this um, than to go to somebody and say, is it okay for me to do it? Ten years ago, I wouldn't advise that just because the medium was so new, but that's not the case anymore. So I don't really think that people need to do that. Um, And I also think that we got to stop pretending like people, that side hustling is new, that multiple, you know, outside interests and hobbies is new, that people can't have, you know, multiple things that they want to do. Um, None of this is new. And, And employers need to stop pretending like, just because I pay you, you know, for this 40 hours a week that I somehow own your entire voice. Mm. That just, that doesn't align with, with anything. It's a, it's a capitalist, patriarchal, supremacist, like pick, pick which one, like spin the wheel and pick which one. It's all of those notions. And we just really have to move beyond um, thinking that and allow people to bring their talents to your organization and perform to whatever expectations you set for them. And then as long as they're not causing harm to your business and its reputation, then um, leave them alone and, right. and let them do what they got to do to live their lives and feel whole and full. Right. That, that's, that's my advice to employers and to people. Right. Yeah, because I'm, I'm also of the belief that, you know, when you are interviewing for a job or for a new business, you know, contract, just as much as that person is 
interviewing you to see if you're a fit, you should be interviewing them. Interviewing them. Absolutely. Because, right? I, you know, I definitely, this go around like a year ago when I was, when I was job searching, leaving my last position, that work environment had just become very toxic. And so I was being very selective because in my mind, I'm thinking I need to be able to plant roots, you know, in this place for a few years. And so I, I looked at it with a whole, you know, fresh set of eyes. I was looking around for diversity, first and foremost. Are there other people here who look like me? Are there women? Are there people of color? Are there women of color in major, you know, positions and roles that are similar to mine? Um, you know, what awards and things is this organization um winning and when was the last time that it happened like I you know ain't nothing worse than walking into a lobby and seeing dusty trophies like what what have you the Janet Jackson of it all what have you done for me lately and so you got to think about you know all of those things and I'll tell you some other tips that I that I tell people when they are working places that I believe are good signs of inclusion you know you definitely want to feel the energy but one of the things I tell people you know, make check check the break rooms when you go interviewing for jobs. Pay attention to the signage. Like if you see a lot of if you got dirty dishes, if yo, you know, don't be touching other people's lunch. Like if you see a lot of signs like that in the break rooms in the workplace, that's a that's evidence of a problem. Like something is going on in the culture. I shouldn't need a sign that says don't eat somebody else's lunch. If that is posted up in the break rooms, your workplace has a problem. And another thing that I have found in workplaces, and you're going to laugh, because I don't think I've told you this before, because I know you're going to laugh. The bathroom in the, the, the toilet paper in the bathrooms. No workplace that respects women is going to give you one ply toilet paper. <laughs> so you know when they got that one ply, they're not treating the women right. Because the lady parts need soft and fluffy. Listen, and I'm a two-ply chick, okay? Now, okay. All the way, 100. I, I need, get you, you make sure you get in cottonelle. <laughs> That's how you know. When you walk in there and the toilet paper is flimsy, they ain't treating women right in that workplace. And if they're not treating women right, they're not treating people of color right. You know they're not. Because there's no way... They got women in decision-making positions buying this raggedy one-ply toilet paper. You we, know, you got treat, have, treat the lady better than that. I have never heard of that, but I absolutely love it. If you think back on it, like the places that you worked that yeah. that had women executives, things like that, the toilet paper be on point. You it's know, true, the thing is, I, yeah, because they know you treat your people well. Treat treat your hind parts well. That's it. Yeah. You know, and also because I guess I would never think I'm always very well prepared with questions to have a conversation. But in terms of walking around to look at the bathroom or, you know, or even if I went to the bathroom, I wasn't looking mm -hmm. to see, you know, or judging the company on that um, or even the break room. Yeah. And looking at those signs, the signs and stuff like that. One of yeah. when I that's how when I I fell I fell in love with my current job because I'm in North Carolina. So many of you will remember we were in the controversy of transgender 
um, identities not being able to use the, the bathroom of their chosen identity and being forced to use their, the biological bathroom a few years back. And the thing that impressed me the most, aside from the toilet paper, is that all of our bathrooms are gender neutral. Mm. Now, and not only are bathrooms gender neutral, but we have no, we have no transgender employees in our workplace. But it, but if we do, there will never come a time where they will have to feel like they have to identify, choose whatever. They they are all labeled water closet. Just go pee. Mm. And it is it to me. I was like, how? It's one of those moments where you look and you go, these people got some sense on their head. They trying to they trying to do the right thing, and I can get with this. I can get behind this. So that it w- it wasn't even the salary the benefits the the title it wasn't even that it was walking around and seeing an office that wasn't full of signs about how to handle your dirty dishes and what to do if the coffee maker is um empty and and all of that kind of stuff it was the fact that they had enough sense mm-hmm. to create gender neutral bathrooms and make sure that people had nice toilet paper and spray <laughs> to use in the bathrooms. That was the I thing that, that I was like, I could, I could be here. Cause they, they know what's up. I absolutely love it. You know, so many times, and this is in many different areas of our life. We, um, we make almost surface level decisions, right? I like that you talked about making sure that this was uh, a place where it kind of aligned with the vision of where you were growing into mm-hmm. And then at the same time, it was the little things that also helped you understand that the culture was a place that would, you know, kind of keep uh, focused on what was going on, right? The Mm -hmm. trends at the moment, what was happening in the world. And that also those signs was an opportunity for you to grow and also probably use your voice. Because if you see a place that has transformed their bathrooms in such a way, you know that they're listening. That they're, <laughs> that they're listening. having mm-hmm. kind and of they're those. having those conversations and that they're open to those possibilities and they're willing to shift when right. it's ne- to, when it's necessary to to make that shift so that people feel included and safe and a sense of belonging when they come to work every day. And that is something I can get behind. So for sure. Right. So, okay, so now you, in addition to your blog, you have a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah, y'all, was named one of the 50 most unstoppable women in HR <laughs> technology. That you know, I love to brag on that. Um, and now you have, I mean, you're busy with workshops and speaking engagements. You're also writing at this mm-hmm. moment. When did you realize that this uh, kind of like your blog could grow into and like a whole other consulting business? Um, I was probably maybe less than a year into blogging and I got invited to be on the social media team for a conference. And so they paid me to come. They paid, you know, I got paid. I got to attend the conference and all they wanted me to do was tweet. That was it. Go to sessions and tweet what I was learning with the hashtag of the conference. And I went, oh, this is different. And then 
the net, then it became, can you sit on this panel and talk about this? And then it was, you know, can I get a quote about that? Like things just started coming and I went, this is, this is going somewhere. And so I had to, you know, pay attention to that. And I went with just kind of going with the flow with it for a few years before I finally was like, all right, I need to actually establish a business and have an LLC and an EIN and pay some taxes, you know, <laughs> as a company and, you know, establish like systems around all of that. And I'm still figuring it out, as you know, you know, I'm still figuring it out. And I think that's um, important for people who are aspiring into entrepreneurship to understand that sometimes like I just wanted you know and you and I've talked about this like I just wanted to like edit handbooks and make forms and do you know simple stuff like never I didn't imagine myself doing tech advisory and ended up ended up being ranked as one of the greater influencers and one of the top female influencers in tech I ended up as a tech influencer because I was at a conference doing social media and a, and a company had a booth and I went to them as a client at my day job to say, here's all the issues I have with your tech. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, they asked me to join their tech advisory committee and that, and once you join one, they're like, oh, you do that too? Oh, well, you can work with this one. You can work with that one. And then the next thing you know, I'm doing tech advisory and I'm on these lists. And it was really just me in my day-to-day job having frustrations and saying, this isn't how this is supposed to be working. So now I'm able to, that's another thing that I can add to my resume again that differentiates me from other other folks. My my old, my job before this one um, we were having issues with our tech company and I was like, you know, and they were like, this isn't working and that's not working. And we got this integration and that integration. And I was like, well, I can make a couple of calls if y'all want me to. I'm sure I can. I know somebody who knows somebody. I don't think they took me seriously until the VP of product development showed up in our office because I called somebody I knew who it turned out was on their tech advisory committee and he made a call and boom, two, you know, two, three weeks later, their product development person was sitting in our conference room wanting to find out what the problems were because they wanted us to be happy and didn't want to lose us as a client. And I just kind of shrugged and was like, I told y'all I was going to make a call, you know? <laughs> so those kinds of experiences are fun because people right. will you know, they'll doubt you. And they look at me, I mean, the viewers can't see me, but I've I've always been in positions where I'm generally the only person of color um, and the only woman. And up until very recently, I'm usually the youngest person Mm -hmm. in the rooms that I sit in. And so when I say, oh, I can make that happen, oh, I can make a call, I can do a thing, they don't really, and I don't brag on that kind of stuff because I take it, I do take it seriously. And I'm like, oh, I can make a call. And, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, kid, sure you can. Right. And then the next thing you know, it's like, I told y'all I would do it. So, right. it, so those, it, those moments are nice. It, very nice. I mean, if you look at just the benefits of stepping into the power of voice, one of the, one of the things is just the connections that mm-hmm. you make around mm-hmm. your interests, your passions, and even your frustrations, Right. Um, You make connections and you become more of a connector for Mm -hmm. 
people as well. And what I find um, kind of like the beauty of your journey as while you're stepping up into these places and you're getting these amazing opportunities to speak and write for these major um, publications and platforms, at the same time, you're still being transparent and vulnerable about Mm -hmm. your anxiety Mm -hmm. that you suffer with. Right. Mm -hmm. And so recently Sarah um, penned an article. It's called transparent. It's called uh, a point of view Mm -hmm. inside my anxious mind, supporting employees who have anxiety and related disorders. And Mm -hmm. the way you broke down kind of like a moment by moment inside look into how um, your mind you know, how anxiety feels, yeah. how you process through it. You know, I'm so freaking proud of you for that. Thank uh, you. Just the breakdown and, and what you do. And so that, I mean, mental health in the Black community is such a taboo topic. So taboo. So I want to talk about that journey to being uh, self-aware, but also um, kind of speaking out about, dealing with that anxiety. When you look back though, over the course of your journey, what, what is the thing that really kind of prepared you or prompted you to kind of say, I'm going to also just talk about this everyday anxiety struggle. Um, I really felt, I hit a point, everything with me is, is usually driven out of a like moment of frustration where it's like, okay, I got to get this out. But this felt, this was different. This felt like I was hiding my mental health challenge and that I was out of integrity with myself because I wasn't being honest and vulnerable about the struggles that I have with anxiety. And so I challenged myself particularly because July was Black Mental Health Awareness Month. I challenged myself to write something. And I debated about whether I wanted to put it on my own blog or whether I wanted to share it for one of the folks that I write for. And ultimately, the folks at the Winters Group were willing to to publish it there. Um, And I know that their following is greater than mine. So I felt like it would have greater impact being beyond my normal regular platform so um but let me tell you so they gave me permission to write this thing I want to say late May and it took me until probably a week before it published to finally get it out um were you afraid of oh yeah like my mind was like girl is you crazy? We're not talking about this. And then um, I would sit down to try to write it because I really want pe- wanted people, and I'm so I'm glad that it's resonating. Like I wanted people to know what it feels like to have an anxiety because people talk about, oh, I feel so anxious. It's not the same thing as having anxiety disorder or having, you know, anxiety episodes and anxiety attacks. And anxiety attacks are different than panic attacks. And so I wanted to be able to describe it in a way that people would understand the sensations and the things that are going on inside my body and my mind in those moments and finding the right words to be able to do that without triggering an attack. 
was the thing that was, you know, the hardest for me. And so, and then I was like, what are people going to think? You know, what happens if my, my coworkers read this? What happens if my clients read this? You know, I had all of those thoughts. Um, but ultimately, I was able to tell, tell her to shut up and go sit down. Go sit down over there and be quiet and let me do this for us. I was able to tell her to, I need to give her a name, but I was able to tell her to shut up and get this out. And the reception for it has been amazing. And I think it has, I hope that it, because on top of writing what my experience is, I also gave, you know, some practical advice because I always like the practical. Right. Please share the practical advice because you gave a couple of things that you do. One part of the article, you said, I am self-aware enough and comfortable enough now with my disease that 90% of the time I can catch myself in the first day or two of mm-hmm. an episode and manage my symptoms before a full attack begins. So. Yeah you know, what are you doing to manage those symptoms? Um, So I'm, I do take medication for Mm -hmm. that. And then in addition to that, I'm in talk therapy. So I, if I feel like I'm about to have an episode, I definitely will reach out to my therapist and and ask whether or not um, I if I need, feel like I need an appointment, then I will. If not, you know, it might just be 10 minutes of me, um, you know, talking to her or we text, you know, to um, talk about what it is that I'm feeling and what's going on. And then she'll make some recommendations of what I do. Um, I do a lot of breathing exercises, meditation, tapping. Tapping is another one that helps me a lot. And then, you know, it? I... Tapping? Tapping. So okay. um, you're, it's a series of pressure points within your body. And I, I tap those pressure points. And am um, and it, while I recite affirmations in order, and it really is designed to shift the energy, you know, in parts of your body because just with anxiety, your your head gets tight, your chest gets tight. So it's tapping on those areas and just shaking that tight energy loose. Um, and it does work. It doesn't work all the time, but it does work. Um, and and CBD edibles. I know I'm I'm. Um, I love that my CBD shop is still considered an essential business. <laughs> so if I need to go by and get me a pop tart or some popcorn or whatever, they are open um, and available. So those things help me. I don't smoke, um, but I love I love a good edible. So I'll go by and I keep gummies in in my house pretty regularly. But every now and again, I'm like, mm, let me go get a slice of cake. So. Um, and I'll go by the shop, which is black owned. So that makes me excited as well because I'm able to support um, a black owned business in the process. And yeah, I'll go by there and get me some edibles. So, um, but I'm pretty, like I said, I am self-aware and I, I recognize and I wrote this in the article, like I get frustrated very easily and and everything frustrates me. Like, you know, the wind is blowing too hard why is traffic moving so fast? Why is traffic moving so slow? Why is the sun so bright? Everything oh. is, you know, frustrating to me. And after a while, the tears start, you know, and all of that happens. And then it's like, oh, all right, you know, this is this is an episode. So let me be mindful of, you know, my thoughts and let me do the things that I need to do to try to bring myself back to center so that I don't end up in a full-blown attack 
But truth be told, you know, there are moments where I have ended up in a in an attack and nothing that to me that seemed out of the ordinary was going on. Mm-hmm. So and I talked pretty openly about it on my podcast when um, the pandemic first hit. I did an episode just because I had been I take a break in my podcast from in February and March. Um, and so I didn't start the new season until late in April, whereas I normally would have started it earlier in April. And I was like, hey, y'all, um, this is what's been going on with me. So that was kind of my first toe in the water <laughs> of starting to about those things. Right. As far as practical advice, I think the most important thing to do when you are dealing with someone who has mental health issues that is aware of their mental health issues is that you have to let them lead. It's so important to, for us to feel like we are still in control of our circumstances because there's so much stigma around mental health and the challenges that people have. And people automatically want to declare, like, declare that you're, you're incapable Mm-hmm. of doing all the normal things and incapable of making decisions. No, my body is having an, an adverse extreme reaction to stressors and triggers. That's what's happening. I ain't crazy. Ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm the same person I was before all of this started. This is a physiological reaction and I have to manage that and I'm aware of it. So let me tell you what it is that I need. Um, So that's the first piece of advice, you know, that I give is to let people lead. And then and then the next thing is listen to them. Like if they are telling you what support looks like for them, give them the support that they're telling you, you know, that it is that they need. Because otherwise you're just substituting your judgment for theirs. And that's what ends up with people feeling stigmatized and dehumanized and and all those other bad things and why they don't feel safe talking about their struggles with mental health and the things that they deal with. Mm -hmm. So me having an anxiety episode does not change the fact that I run a successful business, that I am the head of a, you know, human resources department for a hundred million dollar organization and that I have that I operate you know and I have a family with five children like that all of that is still true about me yeah all that's still factual so and none of that changes and I have anxiety too it's an and it's you know it's It's a yes and yes I can Mm -hmm. show up and do all these amazing things and have anxiety and I think, yeah. you know, for many of us, including myself at times, we think because we are battling something, we can't continue to show up and yeah. claim space, right? And in some of those areas. And one of the things, the things that I love about the tactics that you just mentioned is, you know, it takes a village. I don't think that people mm-hmm. understand. It takes a village of people and resources to show up. Mm-hmm. Every single day, it takes a village of people and or resources to step into the next best version of yourself. That could be yes. your therapist. It could be your coach. It could be edibles. It could be, you know, your mm-hmm. practices of gratitude. It takes a collection of mm-hmm. things. And I know even, you know, for me, one of the things that I had to unlearn was that 
after I got out of college, that's when the real work began. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm dealing with that now because our um we have our, our summer interns and I've texted you, you know, with my jokes about our summer interns, but I was like, wow, was I was I really that naive? Like to just not even recognize, you know, and to just have no clue about, you know, what what real work and, well, and the real, real work world. is. And the yeah. real work is internal and external. Yeah. Right? It's personal and professional development. You have to continue to be committed to that and even opening yourself up to the uh, the feedback or constructive criticism that comes along with that so that you could step into that next kind of best chapter. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to kind of switch gears just a little bit. I touched on it a little bit about the constructive feedback. You work in HR. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get a little bit of insight into, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic yeah. right now, and you're interviewing a lot of people mm-hmm. remotely at times. You're kind of sizing them up online. Mm-hmm. But I came across um, an article that talked about certain kind of questions that are being asked by um, HR pros about how people are managing um, Mm. during this time. Mm -hmm. Do you ask kind of those sorts of questions to kind of size people up to see if they're a fit? And what's your intention? Like, what are you looking for if you do that behind those types of questions? I have no idea. Um, So I've interviewed people during the pandemic for positions, I have yet to ask them how they manage during the pandemic, um, you know, at all. Now I've had candidates ask me, you know, what did you do for your employees and what about this and what about that? And there's a lot of articles that abound that are encouraging that. And I, and I support that fully, but I, I I have no idea. I have not asked anybody. I would imagine that employers are looking to see that there's this, and I hate it. Let me just start out by saying that this perception that people who are unemployed during the pandemic are getting a unemployment and a little extra stimulus money and they just somewhere like balling out. So when I hear questions like that, it it makes me uncomfortable because I wonder, is that coming from this place of challenging people as though, and it's, it's the same thing that we saw early on in the pandemic on the entrepreneur side. Like if you don't come out of this with new clients, new skills, new this, then you were slacking. How about we just be in a pandemic and let people choose to get through this moment the best way that they can and when they know better let them do better how like how how about that can we have that as an option on the spectrum of things that we can do so I would suspect that it's it's trying to ascertain from the candidate if they have you know what things they have done to kind of keep their skills sharp Mm-hmm. During these two or three months where they may or more because we're four months into this thing yeah. during this time period where they may not have been working. Um, so they're wanting to hear, you know, that they have been reading or that they have been 
doing, you know, YouTube videos about this, that, or, or the other thing to kind of keep themselves sharp, you know, versus you saying, ah, you know, I learned how to bake sourdough. Like that seems to be, that's not the answer that they want. So I, I would imagine that that's probably what it is that they're looking for. I, if I were to ask a question like that, I would just want to know that the person feels, um, you know, ready to work outside their home again, because being one of the things and I, you know, I do this, ask me anything newsletter once a month for my subscribers. And um, I had a question from a guy last month that was like, you know, how do we as organizations when the unemployment package is so generous, how do we convince people to come back to work? Now, are there people out there who are making more money staying home than they were making going to work? Yes, that is, that's factual. Is that the reason that the vast majority of people don't want to come back to work? No, it's not. The vast majority of people don't want to come back to work because we are in a pandemic that could potentially kill them or somebody that they love or, and even and or, they have been away from your toxic work environment for 90 days and they're not trying to come back to your foolishness. It's like, I will, I'll take this little unemployment and I'll figure it out, but I'm not coming back up in there with y'all acting crazy. Yeah. That's, that's the reason that's what's going on. And so we have to, we're looking for these easy, you know, answers and this, these things to demonstrate to, um, to employers that people are, you know, worthy somehow when like, what have you been doing? You know, it's, it's like, what you've been, what you've been reading, what you've been doing in your downtime. I would imagine not much because it's a pandemic and this is a lot. So if the and answer is, I took no some, some naps. yeah, there's no one. Well, very few people alive. <laughs> right. From ni- what is who, the, the, the 19, 1918. Yeah. Like there's very few people alive who went through that pandemic and can express, you know, and even those people who may have been alive back then, they were babies and they probably don't remember it. So that can tell us what happened. Yeah. Um, you know, you can look at history and and piece some things together. I know when it ended, everybody got drunk and we tried to the point where we had tried to prohibit alcohol. That's how bad it was. So clearly it was tough. Um, So I just, you know, I think we have to stop trying to expect people to do normal things in what is undoubtedly the most abnormal thing in, in our history to happen. Okay. So when you are interviewing someone, do you think, how much time does it take for you to say to yourself, okay, this, this might be a, this might be a winner right here. Do you think there's like an average amount of time where you're like, you know, it doesn't take long for me now. Cause I started out in recruiting mm-hmm. and um, I started out as a recruiting coordinator and then I was in um, light industrial recruiting. And the thing is with, with light industrial positions, you don't have very long to, con- you know, we we're staffing high volume of positions, high volume, high turnover. So you churn in through right. people because um, the environments are hot and, and difficult work. So you, we had to learn pretty quick how to 
evaluate a candidate's qualifications and and connect with them to know whether they're going to be a fit and make a decision and go. Um, And so it doesn't take me very long. I've walked out of interviews before because, or I've ended interviews early because I knew it wasn't going to. What are some of the things that make you end the interview? Um, Candidates who don't, who can't walk me through their job experience. Mm. Like, like I've been working for 20 years and I can still walk you through my job experience and I'm not going to miss too much. Like, and it's, and I understand that there are people who like, I can remember this one candidate who she had only worked two places. So it's like, ma'am, you can't remember these two. It's only two. And you wrote this, like, why are you reading this resume to me? Like, you didn't write this, like, that's not, and nerves and, and all of that stuff are are real, but you have to, to, and I'm okay with nerves, but you can't let it, you know, overtake you to the point where you look like you don't know, you know, what it is that you're doing. Right. Um, and then there was another candidate who energetically, I just did not feel was going to be a fit for our team. I can remember that we were in a panel interview and we were probably five minutes into that thing. And I was like, yeah, she ain't it. <laughs> and so I, um, I left the other two panelists sat there. I was like, if you, I said, I have to step out if you will excuse me. And I stepped out and I never came back. And they were like, we didn't know what to do, but they knew it too. The other two panelists, they were like, oh, well, we, yeah, we, I was like, y'all liked her? Because I wasn't feeling it. Like, my vote is no. And they were like, oh, no, we vote no, too. But you sat there for 30 more minutes. Right. Like, I've been here, I've been back at my desk doing work. I'm not wasting her time or mine. So I definitely, and I have, you know, I've wrapped up interviews early where I'll just, you know, stop the questions, flip the paper over. You got anything you want to ask me? All right. Well, thank you for coming in today. Wow. And because I just think it's so... Um, let's don't, like, don't waste your time. Don't waste people's time right. and let, you know, let them down easy. Don't be rude, but if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And that's okay. We, that's the other thing we need to stop is this idea around if I interview for a job and I'm not selected or you don't respond to me, you know, the way that, um, that I hoped you would based on, you know, the the written experience in my resume that I've somehow failed that, that, that it's the end of the world that because the organization doesn't think I'm going to be a fit. You're going to be all right. They're going to be all right. It just is one to the next. And even getting fired from jobs, it is not the end of the world to get fired from a job. Sometimes it just don't work out and it don't end well. It's and sometimes okay. it's one of the best things that could ever happen that to you. That could ever happen to you. Right. And, it's, and it's okay. And so this idea that, you know, getting fired is just like the be all end all and that you're going to walk around with a scarlet F <laughs> on, your, on your forehead for the rest of your life and never be able to work anywhere again. We got to stop treating people. We don't. Treating people like that. So when you, when you think about uh, interviews, what, what are the, the top two mistakes that many candidates, that mistake, what, what, what are the top two mistakes that people make? Or what are the top two things that they kind of overlook Having multiple example things is one um, because that's my favorite gotcha moment. We all like rehearse 
um, the story that we're going to tell about, you know, this, tell me about a time where blah, blah, blah. And you always got that one and you, you know, fire that off. And then they go, great. Tell me another one. And you like, uh, 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 uh. so you want to make sure that you have like two or three examples that you can talk through um, fluidly. That would be the first thing. And then the second thing is not doing enough to research the company and if possible, the individual's that you're going to be interviewing with so that you can ask questions. You don't want your interview to turn into a, like an, a low key interrogation. And then you get to the, you know, they just ask you questions. You just give answers. And then at the end they ask you, you know, do you have any questions for us? And you just like, Oh no, I think I'm, no, you want it to be a conversation and a dialogue. Those are the best interviews. And you want to be asking them, you know, oh, I read online that this, that, and the other. I read on, you know, I saw your and your things on Glassdoor. And even if it's bad, you know, you can say, you know, and I read about this. Can you guys tell me, you know, what that experience is really like? Because, you know, you got to take things on the Internet with a grain of salt. Right. So you ask those questions and just let them know that I'm checking on you. Um, look at their website, pay attention to the things that are important to them because they're going to put the things that they're most proud of prominently, whether that's awards that they've won or, you know, their values or whatever it is, you know, pay, look at those things and just kind of pay attention to what they're putting out so that you can make sure you're speaking to that when you talk to them. Okay. I love it. Last question. We have to, the people have to know how you manage it all. This mama role, this executive role, this speaker role, how you're making it all happen. Um, the first thing I had to do was abandon these like ideas of perfection and embrace this idea of enough. And I think that that's true for for so for black women so much, like to just be enough. Like I don't have to be perfect; I just have to be enough. And um, I remember my therapist telling me because I went to her and we were talking, and I talked to her about all of this stuff. And I remember her telling me, "Why do you?" I remember her saying to me, "Why do you have four calendars when you only have one life?" So I had the family calendar, I had the the job calendar, I had the, you know, different reminders for this, that, and the other. I had the stuff for my business. And I, I had no explanation when she asked me that question, obviously. And so that was the thing that I abandoned is that like, I have, tw- I have 24 hours a day and not really, you really got like more like 15, 16, cause you got to sleep. So I had to, um, May, everything became about choices mm-hmm. that I'm going to choose to do this and be fully present in this moment. And that means that I'm not going to be able to do these other things. And that's OK. And I'm still enough and I'm still, you know, good with that. Um, and sometimes I can like right now, the, the blessing of the pandemic for me has been all these children's activities have halted Um, because, you know, I was in gymnastics and volleyball and robots and two different basketballs and football and everybody's got cross country and track. Like everybody's got two things, you know? And so I'm in, I'm everywhere. And um, the pandemic was like, nah, it halted all of that. So, you know, that enabled me to be able to do some more things with my work and my business and my writing that didn't, 
exist, you know, and wouldn't have existed otherwise because the seasons and all those things would have continued um, as they were. So I can kind of get ahead on some things and and all of that. Um, but yeah, it's it's choice and giving up this idea of balance. There is no balance. Right. I always- um, it balances a myth and an illusion. There is no balance. Um, it just really is all about choosing whatever it is in that moment. You can hear the dog and the children. I hear the dog and the children. And listen, this is real life stuff. Okay. This, this is, is real. Y'all getting the, the, yes, this is <laughs> truly candid. Right. This is, the, we share it all. Well, I want to thank you. You know, I absolutely appreciate you. Thank you so much for being on Candid Conversations. Before we go, party people, Sarah is launching the HROI Summit. And going to share the deets in the um, the box down at the bottom. And you know, of course, I'm here to support you and people need to get on board. Tell us just like two minutes about the the summit, the two-day summit and what's happening. So the summit is going to be virtual October 8th and 9th. It's a half day, so four-hour workshop you will spend with me. Day one is about pay equity. It's called Org Better Have My Money and is all about how you conduct a pay equity audit and when you find those disparities because we know that that we can go down. I mean, we're this close, you know, this close to Black Women's Equal Pay Day. We know that we're still, that we're making less on the white man's dollar and less on the white woman's dollar and so forth. When you find those disparities, which you inevitably will, what do you do to address those? And then um, day two is anti-racist HR. And it's really about taking the concepts of anti-racism, the core concepts, what are they, how do you become yourself, you know, start that anti-racism journey for yourself? And then how do you infuse that into your organizations through your policies and your primary people programs? And when the workshops end, you can join the coaching cohort, which will give you two months of coaching with myself and some of the best and brightest minds in human resources and diversity, equity, inclusion work as we help you try to take the things that you've learned in the sessions and the workshop and go back to your workplace and now try to implement that because that's the hard part. That's when you when you get back and you pull these reports and you can't quite analyze the data or you need somebody to help you put this PowerPoint slide together the way that you know somebody is going to read it or you want somebody to rehearse with you before you make this presentation to your boss or your boss now has given you pushback and you don't quite know how to respond to, you know, this email or whatever, that's when you need a community. And so that's what the coaching cohort is going to do is give that community to these professionals who are are needing the help um, to make that difference. So, because yeah, workplaces to me are, are one of the, key components to dismantling our systems of of oppression and so whatever i can do to equip hr professionals to not be be whoever you are like whatever your personality is but don't be your authentic self whatever that is and be a safe space and be that advocate for inclusion in the organization that everybody is looking to us to be the c-suite is saying that they believe this is HR's job. People, the people believe that this is HR's job. We got to step up and we got to do it. So I 
want to help human resources professionals to to be able to do that and other leaders too I'm, I've, with the registration I've been surprised to see I have some startup CEOs and some marketing folks and some other demographics in in the group as well so if you're in charge of those people operational points within your organization there's definitely something in this for you too great how can people follow you and keep up to date with all that you have going on. So my website, buzzarooneyllc.com is the place to get it all started. You can sign up for my newsletters, um, eight on the eighth and ask me anything on the 20th. So I'm only hitting your inbox twice a month. And then I'm the buzz on HR everywhere else, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn. You can find me at, at the buzz on HR in all those places. So I try to keep, keep that brand consistency, yes. make it easy for people to look me up. So those are the two places to go. Yes. Well, there you have it, party people. Once again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. You know how much I appreciate you. Okay, yeah. party people. See you next week.